We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Nation, what is going on? It is your boy Mike Focci here, and it is a great day to be a Pacer fan. We are less than 24 hours removed from the Pacers getting involved in a blockbuster trade. I'm going to have Howard Beck on uh, from Sports Illustrated to tell you all about it. But yes, the big name, James Hard, he's on the move to Brooklyn. But if you're if you're really concerned, I'm really thinking about Karis Levert. Coming to the Pacers, a, a a move that I just didn't expect to happen, but I'm so glad that it did. Yes, I'm sad to see Victor Oladipo go. Many good times, and I feel like, unfortunately, injuries robbed him in his absolute prime, and I hope that he is able to get back to that. Um, if it'll continue to be in Houston, I don't know. But what I do know is there is a brand-new Pacer. His name is Karis LeVert. And I could not be more excited about Karis LeVert is one week removed from dropping 43 points on the Memphis Grizzlies. I mean, this is a guy that when moved into the starting lineup was averaging a hair under 30 points per game, a great ball distributor, great slasher, great on off the ball woman. I I love it. Truly one of the bright young spots on that Brooklyn team before Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving got there. So if you're a Pacer fan, which I, I imagine if you're listening to this, you are, you got to be thrilled about this. There's always going to be two sides. There could easily be the Victor Oladipo, you know, stand side where, you know, how could we do Vic like this? Or, you know, he was just getting healthy. And I get that. I do. But the NBA, it's a business. And from a business standpoint, the Pacers won this trade. Lavert is coming in under contract for the next few years and under $20 million. He, he's more versatile. He, he is. He's longer. He's, I think that there's a lot of different positions that he could play. I think he could play one through three. Um, 
I'm very excited about, like I said, he's younger right over here. I mean, this is a guy who I believe has not hit his prime yet. I think for Oladipo, it's going to be hard to argue that 2017, 2018 was not his prime or his peak, but this is not an episode here to bash Oladipo in any way at all. I think the Pacers acquired a very great talent in uh, Karis LeVert that I, I think that it's just so weird to see him on draft night wearing that Pacers hat. Like I mentioned, it feels like it was meant to be. Uh, this is someone who I did not think the Pacers would be able to trade for straight up. One player thought maybe you'd have to involve a draft pick, maybe like an Aaron Holiday or something of the sort. His per 36 minutes exceed Victor Oladipo's production this year, and he can play on back-to-backs. So I think you have to be very excited to add Levert here. Um, man, just it still just doesn't feel real that this Pacers team, they're, they're, they now avoid the luxury tax. You know, a guy like TJ Warren who's going to come, you know, he's going to be a free agent soon after next season – now, all of a sudden, you're looking at you have that ability to, to re-sign Warren, keep this core together, and, and just let them grow. So for, for that, I cannot wait. Shout out to the front office. You once again did a great job. But hey, I can continue babbling on for forever, pretty much. But I'm going to bring on Howard Beck, and we're going to dissect this trade for not only the Pacers, but what it also means for the Eastern Conference and the league in general. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. We are now joined by Howard Beck, uh, recently of Sports Illustrated and the co-host of the Crossover Podcast with Chris Maddox. Howard, what's going on? Not much. How are you? I'm doing great. So that is reoccurring guest, Howard Beck. Very much appreciate you coming back on. And Howard, the timing could not have been more perfect because a bombshell was just dropped on the NBA, a true blockbuster trade. James Harden is now officially a Brooklyn Net. I think you used to cover the Nets for a little bit, but I also know you covered the Knicks in the past. But this trade, I mean, we're talking about Harden gets his wish. He's on the Nets now. Victor Oladipo goes to the Houston Rockets. Harris LeVert on the Pacers. I mean, where do we even start here? <laughs> well, um, I think for your purposes, probably with the Pacers, even though for most of the country, this is a trade that's either about James Harden forcing his way out of Houston and the wreckage that he may be leaving behind, uh, or it's about the Nets and their championship aspirations and trying to figure out how to integrate three uh, incredibly high usage offensive dynamos together. Um but um, we can start at any of those places. We can start with Karis LeVert if you want. Yeah, yeah, let's start with LeVert because Pacer Nation is so excited about getting LeVert. You're talking about a guy who, A, he's younger than Oladipo. He's, you know, taller, lengthier, however you want to put it. But also a guy who I truly feel like is in his prime right now, getting better. That's also signed for the next two years at under $20 million for each of those years. So it feels like a win-win across the board, even when it seemed like Oladipo probably wasn't going to re-sign with Pacers. Yeah, and look, let me start with the, um, the, the non-basketball pieces of this because I think that they're the more significant aspect in a lot of ways, and then we can get to, to the, the comparison of the two players. But, I mean, listen, um, there were rumblings even a year ago, more than a year ago, that – Oladipo wasn't necessarily happy with the Pacers that he was going to move on after uh, he was going to move on at the end of this contract, which is of course coming up after this season. Um, 
And that because of that, there was even talk of, you know, whether they were going to trade him in advance of that. But those trade talks or or I should I shouldn't say trade talks. The idea of a trade never got any traction because, of course, he was still rehabilitating from the quad injury and was not himself. But there were a lot of rumblings that that was where it was all inevitably going, either leaving via free agency, leaving via trade. And uh, he was linked to. Miami in a lot of those rumors. Um, and, you know, this is league scuttlebutt, so you take it for what it's worth. Um, but that was the scuttlebutt a year ago. So I'm not surprised that he'd be moving on now. Uh, the Pacers have a lot of, of, you know, payroll locked up in other guys. Um, they've been pretty solid, even when Oladipo was rehabbing out back, but not quite himself yet. So they've, they've found their footing and, <clears throat> excuse me, and found their identity even without him being at his, his old all-star self. You put on top of that the combination of the, the very unusual injury that he suffered, and we still don't, you know, I mean, he look, he's looked really good recently, but we still don't know what the long-term is for him, plus free agency and the price that, that he was going to be uh, likely asking for. On a pr- just pure practical level, flipping him for a younger player who is on a, 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 you know, a long-term contract that's uh, at, a, at a decent price market-wise, it's it's a great move. Like I I, I think the Pacers uh, by jumping into this trade and helping facilitate and flipping Oladipo for Levert was a phenomenal move by the by the Pacers. I I like there's I have no hesitation whatsoever about the move they made. I do think you know comparing the players, yeah, Oladipo has been an All Star. Levert has not yet. He has shown flashes of that ability. I don't know if Karis Levert's ever going to be an All Star. He may be one of those guys who's just you know. Uh, perpetually a notch below all-star and that's fine um you've got you know demonta sabonis you've got malcolm brogdon you've got uh miles turner you've got this great cast of players who have already established an identity and um and, and, and a way of doing things where you don't necessarily like you, you know you'd always love an all-star who can do it all um Lavert, I think, is is kind of a jack of all trades, but I don't think he's ever. I don't think he's built to be like the go to twenty five point to thirty point a game scorer. I don't think he's the guy you build around. I think he's a complimentary piece. But what the Pacers have created over the last few years is kind of the better than the sum of their parts kind of team. There's no superstar among them. Sabonis is an all star. Oladipo has been an all star. Um, Brogdon flirts with that all-star discussion but there's it's it's this is not a team built around you know a singular player a Harden or a Durant or a LeBron Steph Curry what have you um and in that respect I think Levert fits in very nicely and he could like I say he can do a little of everything I don't think he's necessarily got any one skill that would you would say is is um significantly better than what Oladipo could do at his peak but he, he may be healthier longer and he's younger so uh I I, I think he's a great pickup yeah, I mean, that 2017-2018, what you could probably label as the peak for Oladipo, you know, all-NBA third team, first team all-defensive. I mean, that's going to be hard to top, but being a small market team, you can't take the risk of going into the offseason and losing Oladipo for nothing so that this is a trade that I didn't even think was possible. Obviously, it took, you know, the help of Houston and Brooklyn to really, really be able to, and even Cleveland, to come in there to make this whole trade work. But... I really want to credit Oladipo and the way that he handled things of being absolutely professional, rehabbing really well, getting his value back up and coming to work every day and just working hard compared to what we saw the exact opposite of James Harden, where, 
I mean, he was laying it all out for the media, saying, I don't think this can be fixed. And in the end, I mean, they had to get a trade done immediately. But before we, we transition to the rest of the trade, for a guy like LeVert, when you talk about the sum of the Pacers being greater, that's what I love about this team. They had three 20 points per game scorers just recently. They have a lot of guys where it feels like any night, it could be anyone else's night. You never know if it's going to be a, a Sabonis night or a Brogdon night or Oladipo or, you know, TJ Warren's out. But this Pacers team, when you look at how they're constructed, don't you almost have to tip your hat to the way that Kevin Pritchard and his front office has done in acquiring TJ Warren via trade, Sabonis and Oladipo via trade, um, then also being able to then flip Oladipo for Levert. I mean, none of these guys were drafted by the Pacers and even Malcolm Brogdon in a sign-in trade. It's crazy what they've been able to build without drafting these guys or signing them outright in free agency. Yeah, I, look, there's, uh, as we know, three ways to get star talent in this league or to get any talent. Um, trade free agency in the draft. And there are teams that, you know, want to build through the draft and embark on those, you know, three to five year, whether you want to call it tanking, whether you want to call it rebuilding, bottoming out, clearing the decks, however you want to refer to it. That's one way to try to build in this league. Um, doesn't always work out that well. There are probably far more failures than successes in, in trying to do a multi-year draft build um, because the lottery is fickle. The draft is fickle, all of that. Building through free agency, the sad truth in the NBA is that building through free agency is something that's almost now in this era reserved for the big market teams or the glamour market teams. So that's, you know, New York and LA, you know, the Warriors, the Heat, um, you know, throw a couple others in there maybe. But, it, it, you know, most teams can't sit there and say, well, we've got a solid group and we've got cap room. Um We'll go get in the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving sweepstakes. We'll go get in the LeBron sweepstakes. We'll go get, like it doesn't work that way, unfortunately. And so for teams like Indiana, and I, I think this has been you know one of their strengths. The Pacers have always been very realistic about uh, what their situation is, what the uh, obstacles are, or the challenges are for a team in, in a market of that size, and they've been really strategic about it. But they've also been a team that has always insisted under the Simons ownership, we're not bottoming out. That, that's exactly. not what we do. Mm-hmm. We're not a tank. We're not going to, we're not going to tank either intentionally or unintentionally. We're always going to try to compete. And so that's, that's the edict. That's the, uh, that's the, the, the franchise ethos. And so Kevin Pritchard and his staff, that's, you know, they understand what they're, what they're trying to accomplish. And they're, they're, that means that they're always going to be opportunistic um, they're not going to get, you know, like I think with Oladipo, like this is a guy who blossomed on your watch. It's easy to get sentimental about that and say, well, this is our is. guy. Like he, you know, he kind of grew up here. Yeah, it's his third team, but still, this is where he found his footing. This is where he became an all-star. And he's, a, you know, he's a great guy, a bright personality, and he's, you know, fun to watch, fun to root for. But you make the pragmatic decisions when you say, you know, maybe we can't afford him. And and maybe, you know, there are healthiest um, route in terms of payroll and sustainability is to flip him for the younger, cheaper guy and use the flexibility that we've gained in the process to, to do other things, even if you don't know what that is, you know, in, in that moment. So, yeah, I, I, I think they've done a fantastic job there. And it, and it is not easy to do. Um, this team has, by, you know, by whatever definition, uh, has overachieved for like, I don't know how many years running now. And overachieving this league usually means that 
Yeah, but it, it usually means that guys like me thought they wouldn't be as good as they are, and they 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 you know defied all of our expectations. Um, but but for good reason. Like there were you know one year to the next, it's like well they lost this guy, or we're not sure about this guy, or this guy's hurt. But they have created, an, a, a, I think, a, a winning culture there. We talk about culture all the time with regard to some other teams, and and, and the Pacers are not one of those teams that um, enters into the discussion most of the time. But they should be because that's how you are consistently this good. And, and with a team that's not the most talented on paper, but is gritty, plays together. Uh, a lot of credit to Nate McMillan, too, by the way. You know, um, still still not entirely clear on, on why the coaching change was made, but so much of, I think, the character of this team was established on his watch and, and, and is a, a projection of him. Oh, very much. I mean, Nate McMillan, I, I think that fans were, they were over getting swept in the playoffs year in, year out the last few years. I believe it was three of the last four, but this is a team that they've made the playoffs 26 of the last 31 years. They've had five most improved player awards over that, over the, you know, the span of the last you know 20 years or so. I mean, they develop talent, they get crafty, however way they can do it. And I don't know why they're always slept on, but in, in the end, you know, that's just something they're always going to have to battle. And, and I understand it, but I, I have been excited about the new culture that's been created with Nate Bjorkman coming over from Toronto, a Nick Nurse prodigy. I think he's kind of taken the Pacers into a little bit more of a modern style offense over there. What has been your early perception of this Pacers team where their offseason was just hiring a new coach? They didn't really bring in anyone other than bringing the same team back. Yeah, and I, look, I mean, that's it was there was the logical um, I think agenda for them was to just bring the same team back. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that, uh, you know, one in the early going here, I think they've obviously once again, been a little bit better than everybody kind of projected. And, you know, it's, it's still early and, and there's a lot of sorting out in the standings yet to be uh, yet, yet to occur, but as strong as the top of the East is, there's a lot of volatility within that, right? Like we've already seen that Toronto seems to have fallen off a cliff and we'll see if mm-hmm. they can climb their way back into things. Um, the Celtics, you know, the reports just before you and I started recording, Kemba Walker practiced today, and it sounds like he's, his return might be soon. But, you know, they lost Gordon Hayward in the offseason. Kemba Walker's knee is an ongoing concern, and I don't think is going to go away. And so we really don't know what the, you know, the, the, the absolute ceiling of the Celtics is. Like, I think they're still in the mix to win the East, but they're not as strong as they were in terms of just sheer talent the last couple of years. And, you know, uh, the Bucks. Their moves seem to have worked out pretty well. The Sixers, their moves seem to have worked out pretty well. Now that they've got the hardened drama behind them and Ben Simmons knows he's staying, uh, it might work out even all that much better for them. And and now the Nets have this grand experiment with, with these three stars. And I bring all that up to for the purpose of saying, like, that's the landscape at the top of the East. Those are the teams you talk about first before you get to the next tier, which, was, which would be basically the Pacers probably by themselves. And you know, the early going here suggests that the Pacers belong in the conversation with the rest of the teams that I just mentioned, not on talent, not on paper. Um, and most people are still going to put them, you know, a slot behind those teams for chances to win the East. But I, I don't think any of these teams are a lock. And we saw how, how the Bucks flamed out the last couple of post seasons. And I don't know that the offseason changes are going to, to change the outcome in, in the playoffs. Um so I just, I, you know, I'm not predicting that the Pacers somehow burst through the crowd there, and it is a crowd, and those are really good teams. Um, but I, I think that the East, for all of the strength, uh, you know, in, in those, you know, that top group, 
um, they all have their flaws. There is there, you know, there is no luck to win the East. And I think the Pacers at a minimum can make it interesting and they can make some of these teams very uncomfortable when the playoffs arrive. I really think that they can, because after seeing what Miami did last year in the playoffs, it made me think that, Hey, all you got to do is get hot at the right time and, and have great team chemistry. Now this Pacers team, their ideal starting five, which obviously included Victor Oladipo last year, only got to log 80 minutes combined together. Immediately once this season starts, T.J. Warren went down, and then now Oladipo's out. So we're really waiting to see that core come together, and we still will never get to now because now you throw in Levert. But I just feel like you just need to give this team time, and if they can get hot at the right time, anything can happen right now because, like you said, no one's looking dominant in the East. I mean, last year to start the year, Milwaukee looked head and shoulders above everybody, and that is not the case right now. So – I'm very excited. But as we transition to the rest of that trade, the main piece, James Harden, the guy who's led the league in, in scoring just countless times, uh, is now on the Brooklyn Nets with Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant off the bat. Is this enough to get Kyrie Irving to return to work? Yeah, it's not a question I can easily answer. I'm not sure if anybody can answer that question. Um, yeah, there's, you know, I. I Take it on faith that the Nets know why Kyrie is gone and mm-hmm. understand it and are okay with it. Um, there's room for all of those things to be less than 100% true. It, there's room for it to be maybe they're not entirely comfortable with it, but they understand. Maybe they don't enti- understand entirely, but they're just being patient because they under, you know they know that that's just what you buy into when you have Kyrie Irving. Um, I, I don't know what to make of that situation. I, and, you know, Sean Marks had a press conference via zoom earlier today i was on that press conference i asked about Kyrie, and you know sean marks who generally plays things close to the best anyway just essentially said look you know we're you know we're um we're waiting for the league to rule and and the, you know there's two elements here the league has to rule on whether or not Kyrie violated covid um protocols and whether that's going to put him into um into quarantine of some sort or a testing you know regimen but even once that's over it's still like People are, are, are seizing that, well, uh, it's out of the Nets' hands. It's not out of the Nets' hands. Like the, 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 this is still about whether you know, why Kyrie's gone in the first place. Like, yes, eventually he's going to have to deal with what the NBA's ruling is on his um, going to a, a party for his sister and how that affects uh, you know, his, his, his availability. But it's, it, it, this, still, this starts with him leaving the team for what were just described as personal reasons. And I don't know where that's going to land. I don't know where that goes. Um, you know, I, I think it's assumed that he's going to be back before too long and the Nets will get back to trying to figure out how to defend, which they don't do very well, even before the trade, which they'll probably do worse uh, at post-trade because they lost Jared Allen, their rim protector in the trade. He's now in Cleveland. Um, James Harden's been a net minus on defense. Kyrie is mostly a net minus on defense. And so they've got a lot to, to, to figure out at both ends. They've got roster vacancies now because it was you know, a multiplayer trade. They had more going out than coming back. And they've, you know, they've, just, they've still got a lot of work to do. They've got to figure out how to integrate the three stars, uh, rebuild the roster, figure out the defense. So Kyrie will be back at some point. I couldn't tell you when, but um, I, I, I think eventually that will be a footnote to the season, a really strange footnote, but a footnote. Of course, and truly something that no one can answer. And also, in the whole everything that you named, they also lost Spencer Dinwiddie, who was huge to that team. 
I mean, really someone who really his play took off when Kyrie was out last year and someone who easily could have been in the running for a sixth man of the year. So, but you're also talking about three guys with amongst the highest usage rates in the last 10 years, all three guys over 25% usage rate. Uh, is that going to be a problem? Because Kyrie and Harden, both guys who need the ball in their hands a lot. I'm just curious. It feels like eventually this could be an issue or is it just winning solves everything? Well, I mean, winning solves everything, but you have to win first. And mm -hmm. so like this, there's a chicken and egg aspect here. You know, do you need to sort out all of that and make sure everybody's comfortable before they even can win? Um, and, and, you know, you don't want this to just be, you know, three superstars taking turns, dominating the ball and dominating the offense. You, you want something that's more integrated. I'll be very curious to see, you know, how they go about that. You know, Mike D'Antoni is on Steve Nash's staff Mike D'Antoni's approach when he and Nash were together as coach and point guard in Phoenix was not just, you know, seven seconds or less as they, as they coined it, but it was about the ball moving. And as Mike always said, the ball finds energy. Well, the ball finds energy really meant give the ball up and it'll come back to you. If you're, if you're open, um, don't, don't just sit there and pound it. Don't dominate it. Well, that's what James Harden does more than almost anybody we've ever seen in this game. And when Mike and James Harden were together in Houston, D'Antoni deferred to what Harden did best and what he was most comfortable doing, which was dominating the ball. So they became an ISO ball team. I don't ever, I don't think that that's what Mike would prefer in his heart. I think he, he loves, you know, beautiful basketball where players and ball are moving and everyone's kind of working in sync with each other, the way that the Warriors play, which is, you know, Nash has spent a lot of time, quality time with the Warriors um, over the last couple of years as, as a, a you know, whatever, system, yeah. development coach, mm -hmm. whatever he was doing. And so I think between Mike and Steve Nash, I mean, I think that that's probably where both of them would like to land. And now that you have these three superstars who all are incredible with the ball in their hands, but all can play off the ball. I mean, Harden, Kyrie, and Katie are all great off the ball players if they want to be. Uh, they're you know, great spot up shooters. They can they can attack off the dribble. They can um, you know they can come off screens. Whatever they they can play a number of ways. So if they're all willing, then my gosh, this could be you know, one of the all-time great offensive teams. And it could be incredibly dynamic and fun to watch, um, but they got to be willing. And, and Harden has, you know, really, uh, you know, in, in, entrenched himself in this other style of, of play over the last few years. So I think the first question is whether Harden is willing to sacrifice and to adapt and evolve at this stage of his career in order to win a championship. The other two guys have championships. So in some respects, you know, it, maybe it's easier for them They've, they've, you know, uh, you know, Katie's won an MVP award. He's won scoring titles. He's won a couple of cha uh, championships. Kyrie's won a championship. Um, so, you know, that, that, that is, that is going to be a fascinating process. Um, and and I, I can't wait for, for uh, Harden is on his way to Brooklyn today from what I understand. Um, so we'll see, you know, he should be in uniform, I would think pretty soon. And then it's a question of when Kyrie is back in the fold and then, then we'll get to see how it works out. Yeah, when you say that, you know, Harden, if he's willing to, I mean, I think that that's willing to play off the ball. I think that is the best way to sum it up because we've seen him. I know that Rocket situation towards the end was, it was probably pretty unbearable for him for whatever reasons, you know, behind closed doors. But there's been a bunch of videos I've seen of him just, if he's not holding the ball and he's not directly involved, he was almost checking out a little bit. And I think that that, that could be hard because – chances are he's not going to be the leading scorer in the league on this Brooklyn team. I mean, I, Kevin Durant 
has done an unbelievable job being able to play with other stars. Like when we saw him in Golden State, still be able to get his and put up close to 30 points per game. But I just don't envision James Harden being able to put up that, you know, near 35 points per game on the amount of shots that he's used to getting. So I do think a lot of it's going to come to him adjusting. But do you think this is also something that is this trade really going to solve his unhappiness and potentially being out of shape that we've seen? Because it's very uncommon for us to see a true star player just kind of almost let himself go a little bit in midseason because he's unhappy with his current situation. Harden is, you know, like all of these things go together, right? Like his being out of shape and disengaged with the Rockets, his unhappiness with the Rockets, with the entire situation there, it's all, it's all interconnected. Um, he could have handled this differently. Of course he could have handled it much better, but this, this is, this is where his head was at, right? This is where this is, you know, whatever he was feeling about the Rockets, whether it's about Maury leaving, D'Antoni leaving, whether just because they, they, they you know, uh, flamed out in the playoffs again, and Westbrook wanted out, whatever it was that was causing Harden to lose faith in the Rockets and their direction. And after years of saying, this is the only place I want to be and I want to win one here and all that, he decided he wanted out and he couldn't get out immediately. So that then leads to, I think, probably a lot of the other things that, we, that, that we've seen with him. I'm just going to assume that the change of scenery and getting where, and, and, and by the way, getting to go exactly where he wanted to go. It wasn't just, I want a trade. It was, I want a trade to Brooklyn. And I think that was questionable whether that was ever going to, to happen. I think that there were, there were other possibilities for a while there. He, but he ends up, lo and behold, in the exact place he wanted to be. They're the team that made the offer that the Rockets like best. It worked out for Harden. I'm going to assume that that makes him happy enough to, you know, get back in gear and get back in shape. Like, I don't, I don't think there's anything that's like uh, irretrievable here. I think, you know, this is what Harden was looking for and everything that we saw that, 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 um, you know, indicated his unhappiness in Houston. You got to assume that's behind him. Yeah. I mean, but uh, this also proved, I feel like more than anything, that this truly is a player's league. And if you are good enough, you can call the shots. Uh, do you think this is going to be something that we might be able to see or we might end up seeing more of? Because I've never seen someone, you know, go to the extent to potentially let themselves go to really get their wish happen. I mean, when he made those comments at the podium the other night saying they don't know if they can fix this, I felt I truly felt like there was no coming back to the Rockets after that. And you heard DeMarcus Cousins, you heard John Wall. Basically, they were really rubbed wrong by that and it created a situation where I couldn't imagine him playing another game there I mean if you're if you're Houston players I mean would you have really wanted Harden back at that point or is it just hey he's one of the best players in the league what are we going to do I mean obviously everybody had reached a breaking point by that point I mean I I don't I that that was that was the point of no return and even if they couldn't make a trade right away I think at a minimum they probably would have just you know told him to stay home for a while mm-hmm. and, and, and tried to move on without him because I think the, uh, the tension in the locker room, I, I would imagine, was uh, quite high by that point. Superstars in this league have always been able to, to dictate a bit about their futures. I mean, it's been, you know, whatever, 40 years since Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you know, then in Milwaukee, said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just done here. Please trade me to New York or L.A. And he, as we know, he got to L.A. Um, and, the, and the rest, as they say, is history. 
um, you know, Harden, I think, handled this worse than a lot of guys have. Uh, Anthony Davis, you know, Anthony Davis didn't stir it up on his own. Like his agency and his dad stirred it up for him. But Anthony Davis said, I want out. And I mean, he, he didn't say it out loud, obviously, but it was clear. He wanted out and he wanted to go to the Lakers and he got what he wanted. It, it, it doesn't always work out exactly for the stars. Sometimes you demand a trade and you end up somewhere you weren't planning to. Kawhi Leonard decided he didn't want to play for the Spurs anymore. He really wanted to be in LA and listed a few other teams. And he ended up in Toronto, a place he had no interest in whatsoever, but he went and won them a championship and then left. So I think these things can go any number of ways, but the stars have always had, you know, a disproportionate amount of uh, influence because they have a disproportionate amount of talent and value. And if they decide to flex it, they, you know, that's, that's their prerogative and they make this league go. So, you know, uh, fans don't always have to like it. And especially if it's, you know, if it's your team that, that just got abandoned, um, you know, it's never fun. Obviously your team went through that with Paul George a couple of years back. Oh my God. Another guy, another, but another guy, by the way, but, but another guy who wanted something specific, I want to be oh, traded to LA. And he ended up in Oklahoma instead. Now he eventually got to LA anyway, but, uh, but yeah, we've, we've seen various versions of this play out many, many times. So, you know, the guys that you mentioned, I mean, we got now Kevin Durant left Golden State, linked up with Kyrie Irving in Brooklyn. You got Anthony Davis, who linked up with LeBron in LA for the Lakers. You got Kawhi and Paul George together for the Clippers. But now this Brooklyn team has officially assembled a true big three. Do you think we're going to start to see other teams make that transition for a third star now as apparently, you know, a big two, which the Lakers had last year and got done with, it seems like our teams, is this going to basically water down the NBA to maybe just a few teams up top? Well, I mean, we've, we've again, that, that's been, I think, the, almost the norm for quite a while. And, and, you know, we went through a big three era starting with, the Celtics bring together Pierce and Ray Allen and Kevin Garnett. That sparked an arms race where, you know, now that drives LeBron to Miami to join up with Wade and Chris Bosh. Um, various teams tried their own versions of big threes to, to varying degrees of success or, or, or non-success. I mean, the, the Knicks got, you know, Carmelo and, and Omari and then signed Tyson Chandler and called it a big three. It, it didn't, didn't produce much. Okay, um, the, so didn't really work out too much. Well, you know, OKC built, you know, back to our earlier conversation, OKC built the organic way and through the draft and multiple picks up high and, and aced them all um, and then just couldn't keep them for, for a variety of reasons. We don't need to go down that road. Uh, you know, the Nets had Darren Williams and Brooke Lopez. Brooke Lopez, a borderline all-star. Darren Williams at that time was one of the best point guards in the league. And then they go out and they trade for Joe Johnson, cost them an arm and a leg. And they call that their big three. So there was a big, you know, there was an era of big threes and pseudo big threes and attempted big threes. And it just kind of petered out on its own. And, and the reason for that is that there aren't that many players that you can classify as being important enough to say, this is our big three. I mean, the Cavaliers were kind of a two and a half with LeBron and, and Kyrie and Kevin Love. Um, but there was a big three era that seemingly ended when the Warriors lost and they were a big four, of course, by the time all was said and done. But by the time they lose to the Raptors, that seemed to put it to, you know, definitive um, end to, to that era. So we went through, you know, a season or so here where there were a lot of, you know, two-star combos, but, but not beyond that. The Nets are, are, are pushing this back into the big three 
um, model. And does that spark a new arms race? Do the Lakers now try to go out and get Bradley Beal? I mean, they've got nothing left to trade to get a, a Bradley Beal. Um, you know, I don't know who else, who else has a two that could try to add a three. It's it, it, the bottom line is it's not that easy. And the not. fact that, that there was a, a 12-year era, essentially, of big three teams, you know, you know at, at, all, at all times, at least a couple of them, um, is, is actually remarkable considering how difficult it is with a salary cap and a luxury tax and a tax that's become more punitive over the last decade or so. It's hard to have three stars on one team. Um, it, it's, it's hard to pull it off. And so I don't necessarily think this is going to, to spark another big three era or another arms race, but, you know, look, all it takes is one disgruntled star, you know, being able to, to maneuver his way to the right place. And, you know, and, and you know, all eyes are on Bradley Beal these days. Yeah, it really is. And one of the, the failed OKC big three that I was mentioning, um, should have clarified the Carmelo Anthony, Russell Westbrook, Paul George. I mean, that just did not work out to the point where, I remember if they had kept Carmel Anthony on the roster, I think they were going to be paying, it could have been upwards of $80 million in luxury tax, I remember. So it, it is very costly, but I do hope this did not trigger a brand-new arms race. But you truly never know. I felt like when Kevin Durant left Golden State, it, the, the playing field was going to be a bit more balanced. But it feels that we may be you know, moving towards that big three movement again. So I really hope we aren't. But um, as this shake, shakes out now, Brooklyn, I mean, do you now see them as the team to beat? I know we talked about a bunch of teams that could be up there, but on paper, are they at least the favorite to come out of the East right now? Well, I, I think they are according to the odds makers and according to the 538 blog. Um, you know, I, I, so I, like, I, are they the favorites? Like, yeah, I mean, if the odds makers all say they are and, and, and the analytics guys say they are, then I guess they are. I, you know, I, I look at the East and it's a little bit more ambiguous because um, I think, you know, the Bucks have that potential and the Sixers have that potential. And with the Nets, they, okay, great. They, they've got like, three of the best scorers we've, we've ever seen. You know, I mean, Harden's one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen. Durant is, uh, is certainly one of the greatest scorers we've ever seen, you know, very, in a very different way. Um, Kyrie's a magician with the ball in his hands and, there's the, 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 the possibilities with those three are really tantalizing. That's why the Nets go and do this. But it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. I don't know if they can construct a, a suitable defense. And you don't have to be a great defense necessarily. Like Even though there's a history of, of championship teams and even finals teams for the most part needing to have a top 10 defense or close to it, you know, if, if you've got just an absolutely overpowering dynamic offense – yeah, maybe that's enough to to get by, but you've got to at least be average defensively. Um, being bottom third or worse, I, I don't know if that gets you there. And so the Nets, you know, DeAndre Jordan's not going to do it. They're going to need, you know, I mean, they, you know, there's a certain amount of minutes per game they can they can play him. But Jared Allen was their best center. He's gone. They need they need to replenish uh, at that position. Um, they could use, you know, some, some reinforcements at the wing. They were already thin at power forward. And, and this is what happens when you make a deal like this, you end up being very top heavy. So that's a really smart front office. And they've done a great job over the last several years of unearthing all kinds of hidden gems, including Joe Harris, who's still with them. And Spencer Dinwiddie, who we mentioned earlier, of course, is hurting out for the season, but if they can find a couple of hidden gems along the way here, scour the buyout market, um, 
you know, then, then they can, they can rebuild, you know, the, the back end of the rotation, but I don't, I don't take anything as a given on paper. Those three could be spectacular, but I, I really think there's, it re- relies on a lot of sacrifice that I'm not entirely certain that Harden Kyrie in particular are willing to make. And so we'll see. That's what it all comes down to. If, if guys are willing to sacrifice, but um, as we wrap up that trade, you know, Four first-round picks were involved. They're going to um, are going to Houston. You know, they're also the four pick swaps. I mean, this is this is a massive amount of draft capital, as well as you know, Karis LeVert and Jared Allen, two very good young players that when the Nets were rebuilding, I mean, those were two guys that you were really looking at to help get this team to the next level. Obviously, DeAndre Russell is no longer with the team, but he was one of those guys as well. As we're looking back. I mean, the goal was to obviously win a championship. Do you think the Nets gave up too much, or is it just, hey, if we get one ring, just like what the Lakers did, everything was completely worth it? Yeah, there's two ways of looking at this. You can always say the ends justify the means, and if you if you win a championship, then it doesn't matter what you gave up. I would push back on that somewhat. I, I think that you have to look at the negotiation. Like the, the, like the Anthony Davis trade, I said at the time, and I absolutely stand by this, though they won a championship and I never said that they couldn't or that they wouldn't, but I wrote at the time that the Lakers won the trade, but lost the negotiation. That was accurate. Then it's still accurate. Now they won the trade. They got Anthony Davis. And in fact, now they won a championship with Anthony Davis, but it doesn't mean that they did a great job of negotiating the trade. They gave up, I think more than they absolutely needed to given that uh, they should have had all the leverage in the world. The Pelicans had the virtual gun to their head, the proverbial gun to their head, because Anthony Davis was demanding a trade, was heading toward a walk year, and only wanted to go to one place, the Lakers. <laughs> that, that should have completely devastated any negotiating power that the Pelicans had. And yet they still got Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram and Josh Hart and all those picks and picks. I mean, like, they got pretty much everything except for Kyle Kuzma. And and the players they got were better than Kyle Kuzma. Exactly. So um, is it analogous to what the Nets and Rockets just did a little bit? I mean, the Rockets certainly didn't have a great negotiating stand or a, a great uh, position of leverage or or like they 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 couldn't just sit there and say, oh, we're going to wait it out and get until we get a better offer. Like, no, like the house is on fire. James Harden just lit a match. Mm-hmm. You don't have a choice. You got to you got to do something soon. So um that being the case, I, I, you know, we're not in the room. We don't know how these talks go. It's the same thing with the Nets and Celtics deal with Pearson Garnett years ago. It's like, wow, why did they have to give up that much? Because you don't know at what point in those discussions somebody, you know, where the bluff point is or what the one more thing they asked for is that you should have said no and then they would have backed down. Like, we don't know. We're not in the room. And, you know, Zach Lowe has pointed this out recently, and, and he's right. Trying to reconstruct those negotiations after the fact, given how much – uh, people are going to try to save face and just aren't incentivized to tell the truth. It's really hard to know, but I will say that was a, a really steep price for the nets on balance. Um, but mostly because of the downside, like I think if, so let me, let me separate it from the, from the, the Anthony Davis trade for, for in, in this regard. Um, the nets were already all in on KD and Kyrie and there were already caveats to that. How well are those guys going to function together? We've only got a small sample size for that. Uh, Kevin Durant coming back from the Achilles, really tough injury to come back from what, you know, he looks great right now, but how much more 
does he have? We don't know. He hasn't gotten through a full season yet since the injury. So there's some volatility or, or, or just um, unknowns there. Kyrie Irving has an injury history. So there's some unknowns there. Kyrie Irving is not around right now. So there's some other unknowns there. If you are already all in on these two guys and it's already championship or bust, and you think James Harden could put you over the top or add X percentage points to your chances, then you go for it. And, you know, is that too steep of a price to pay when you're considering that, that the, tra- the player you traded for has, uh, is a recent MVP and a perennial top two or three MVP finisher? No, they didn't overpay. They didn't overpay, but if it blows up because of all of the, the, the um, you know, volatility that I've just mentioned, yes, then you're paying a massive price because you have mortgaged, you know, your entire future. You, there's nothing left to mortgage. Uh, I will say this. You know, the irony is that Sean Marks came into a team that was stripped of all of its assets by the previous administration. And he was the one who had who took over what people thought was an impossible situation. And he rebuilt it into something respectable, competitive, enough so that Durant and Irving wanted to be there. And so there's at least the confidence as they sort of repeat the past by sending out all the picks for a star. And, you know, Harden's younger and better at this stage of his career than Pierce and Garnett were at the stage that they got them. But whatever those risks are, if it did blow up in their face, this is an, a, a front office that has shown it's very skillful at operating without its own draft picks and without much, you know, many, many tools in the shed. And they found a way to build it up. And so I think they have the confidence that if there's a worst case scenario, they can recover. Uh, without a doubt, Brooklyn has come a long way over the last few years. Sean Marks has done an unbelievable job to be able to get them to, to where they're at now, where on paper, I mean, they, they do look like the team to beat, but obviously you got to prove it come playoff time. So as we wrap up this episode, um, Howard, tell us everything that's going on uh, with you, where we could find you on uh, social media and maybe some articles that you might have coming up. Yeah, so uh, up on SI.com today, I have a story about how James Harden has uh, enforcing his way to Brooklyn. He's basically made himself the number one villain of this era that, uh, you know, he's obviously, you know, the, the goal is to become a champion, but the, the one title he has definitely assured himself of now is uh, the uh, the chief villain of, of this era. Um, I had a story a week ago that I think actually is, is even more germane to, to this trade today with a story I had a week ago was just about whether James Harden, wherever he landed, is he willing, is he at a point in his career where he's willing to sacrifice something that you and I have talked about on this podcast. And so uh, that one, I, I, I interviewed Ray Allen to talk about the adjustments that he and Garnett and Pierce had to make when they came together and how that might apply to where James Harden is at in his, in his career now. And it, it's even more relevant considering where he landed because he did land on a team with two other uh, established stars and, and, and they're going to have to figure some things out. So um, those are the two stories I've got up on SI.com. Now I've got some other things in the works that I don't want to uh, give away just yet. And uh, you know, uh, people can also of course catch me on the crossover pod, co-hosting that with Chris Mannix that comes out uh, usually every uh, Tuesday, Wednesday range. So midweek. Awesome. Everybody, please give Howard a follow. You will not regret it. He has one of the best followers on Twitter. And Howard, uh, please provide your uh, Twitter name for everybody. It is uh, pretty straightforward. At Howard Beck. No no underscores, no, no crazy punctuation, no weird spellings. Uh, just at Howard Beck. Simple enough. Can't forget it. Howard, thank you so much for the time. I'll be looking out for those articles.
My pleasure. Thanks for having me back. You got it. Pacer Nation, your boy Mike Fachi is back. Special thanks to Howard Beck coming on the show, talking all things Pacers and NBA related, the blockbuster trade that just went down that brought Karis LeVert to Indiana. And also, yeah, I think there was a guy like, James Harden involved in the deal or whatever, if you care about that kind of thing. But a new Pacer era of basketball is upon us. I cannot wait to see Levert in uniform. But unfortunately, we just found out that it's definitely not going to be this Saturday because the Pacers and Suns game has been postponed. I was going to have on Espo, host of the Solar Panel podcast, covering all things Phoenix Suns to uh, we're going to give a Pacer Suns preview. I know the teams faced off last week, but a dish of revenge. It's always best served cold. And I was hoping to serve those Suns a cold dish, but unfortunately it's going to take a little bit of time. We'll find out when that game is going to be rescheduled. But in the meantime, guys, I want to thank you for listening. If you deem fit, please leave a five-star review for the show. We would love to hear from you guys what we could do better. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. My co-host Alex Golden can be found at Alex Golden NBA on Twitter. You could find us, the show, on Twitter at SettingThePace3 and on Instagram at Pacers Talk. Can't thank you guys enough. Truly the best listeners out there. Pacer Nation, stronger fan base than most. I can promise you that. And at the end of the day, I got three golden words for you. Let's go Pacers. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.